Welcome to the Wellness for Educators podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Kennedy. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Wellness for Educators podcast. I'm Katherine Kennedy, the Executive Director of Wellness for Educators and your host for today. I am grateful and honored to have one of the members of our board of directors, Alejandra Ramos Gomez, who is doing a series of four podcasts focused on her new book, Imperfecta. Alejandra, thank you so much for being here. Yes. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk a little bit more about the book, what inspired me to write it, and just how it applies to my everyday life. And yes, very happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So I'd love to introduce you first and then jump into our conversation. Alejandra Ramos Gomez is a poet, writer, and education consultant from Juarez, Mexico. She resides in Dallas, Texas, and is the founder of We Are Poderosas, a girls' bilingual self-empowerment and spoken word initiative. Her work appears in international media, including TEDx, NPR's Latino USA, Miss Magazine, United Nations Girls Education Initiative, Take the Lead Women, and Plan International. She works as an educational consultant with the Education for Sustainability in the Galapagos Islands Program and Journeyman Inc. Alejandra holds a BA in Political Science and Linguistics and a Master's in Bilingual Education. Further, she is certified in Mindfulness Instruction and Dance Therapy by UNESCO. Her debut bilingual poetry book, Imperfecta, which we'll be talking about today, explores the experiences of women, Latinas, and immigrants. Alejandra, thanks so much again for taking the time to be here and to share your work with us. Um, our, our conversation really starts today focused on the theme of identity, which is um, throughout the book. And I'm just really looking forward to hearing, hearing more about that theme. Um, so I'd love for you to start off by talking about what inspired you to write this book and to, and to publish it and share it with others. Yes. So this book has been a lifelong dream for sure. I've always wanted to have a book ever since I was a little girl who loved books and was reading all the time. And when the pandemic started, I think I, I really needed something that could help me just keep going and be, you know, inspired and focused and uh, especially being inside the house for much longer time than I used to be in the past. So Imperfecta came from the idea of writing a book that I wish I would have read when I was growing up, um, being open about things that in my community, right, being uh, an immigrant, being uh, specifically a Mexican from northern Mexico, there are things that are not talked about, uh, things that were, were often ignored or put to the side. So we, you know, avoid discomfort. And I really wanted this book to be as open as it could be, very honest. And um, yes, just hoping for the best, hoping for at least one girl to read it and to know that she's not alone and that uh, all of those things, we go, we go through it together without noticing that we're actually all going through them. So that, that's the main focus of the book, just providing that, that space for, for all the girls that don't see themselves in books and also opening the invitation to writing their own stories. Right. This is this is only my my little my little perspective of things, but it would be wonderful if there's even more perspectives of 
of all of these topics from from girls who experience it differently. And I think I think with your the representation piece is so key here and seeing that you have done this and others following suit, um, knowing that they can really building their confidence and and in sharing their voice and being heard, uh, I think is is so powerful and just want to commend you for for doing that and and I mean a lot of the. The topics that you cover in here are so very deep and ingrained in a bunch of different uh, identities. And I know we're, we'll get into intersectionality in another episode, but but there's so much going on here that really speaks to a lot of different people. Um, so just grateful for for you taking the time to do this and to to um, to really have the um, confidence to share it out with other people and, and, um, you know, be vulnerable in, in your, with your experiences. I think that's huge. That's huge. So thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for mentioning that. And I, I think something that I missed out on saying that now it just came to my mind, but I think one of the main reasons also that I wrote it was because I had a, a poetry club. Uh, as an educator, as a teacher, I always had a poetry club through the seven years in the classroom. And the year during the pandemic that year, we created this like goal setting type of mental map. And I told the kids, I'm going to like write my book. And that was always a thing. And then towards the end, when the pandemic started happening and, and everything and everything switched, one of, of my students who I always connected to, he he loved writing poetry. He's just very like yeah like many me very very intense very opinionated uh just great great student and he was saying well I guess you're not doing it now and that <laughs> I feel like that kind of pushed me and I and his mom ended up buying the book so I know that they have it and I I wanted to do it for them too to see that hey it, it is it is possible even things that sound like writing a book right or having a book of my own always I always wanted to, but I never thought it was possible because I guess also because I didn't see myself doing it right. Growing up, I didn't see people that looked like me, uh, girls who looked like me or thought like I did uh, having those thoughts out there. So I guess we just start, we start building those bridges and yeah. Yep. That's perfect. Um, so I know that I asked you to, pick out some of your contributions in the book. Um, and I would love to, to have you share the one, the ones that you've chosen um, and, and then reflect on, on why those particular things came up and, uh, and your experiences with them. Yes, of course. And I, I picked one in English and one in Spanish. Um, they're different. I'll read the English one first. Uh, this is called The Border. And well, I think it's very explicit and we can talk about it after the poem, but uh, this is The Border. Perspective of a Millennial Fronteriza. Living in the femicide city is less glamorous than it sounds. Surviving was a sign of strength. They forced us to grow up being resilient, but they didn't prepare us to feel. The traumas caused by violence became part of the conversation a phone call, another friend was murdered. The name of murders became our version of a good morning. Many of us grew up idealizing the American culture without understanding that there's always another side. We shared our stories pretending to be strong, 
but we didn't learn how to heal. My perspective has changed. Do not applaud my resilience. Help me find justice, justice for the lost lives. Just a, a short, um, direct poem, I think. None, um, And so this was about your experience growing up in Juarez. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? I know we've had conversations before, so I know a little bit more about it um, than our listeners, but just um, you know, speaking to your experience and why you felt compelled to share it in the way that you did. Yes. Um, I, I think that every time I talk about Juarez, I. I feel like people know about it because it had such a, a, a bad reputation for such a long time. Uh, but now we're, we're, of course, redefining, right, that how that looks like. I think growing up, growing up in the border, thinking first about the good things, it was great. Um, it was a very interesting, very multicultural experience of always back and forth, uh, being exposed to Mexican culture, being exposed to American culture, having like a taste of both. Um, also, you know, crossing to a border city of El Paso where Spanish is very widely accepted, where most people speak Spanish, where like culture is very, you know, vi vibrant, like Mexican culture. So I didn't feel, I didn't grow up having the thought of maybe the US not accepting my culture and not accepting my language because it was always there. Um, you know, Juarez and El Paso, they always call them sister cities because we are basically the same people or the same uh, generations that live there. Um, most of my family is on the Mexican side, but I do have a couple of aunts on the U.S. side. So always having those both, you know, cousins that we live on different sides of the border, share similar experiences, you know, always together during holidays. So always very multicultural. Um, also with language acquisition, right? I started... Uh, I, I started being exposed in fifth grade to English, no, in, in kinder to English. Uh, but in third grade was when we, I actually started like a bilingual school. But learning a language back home was always seen as a positive thing. It was always, you know, it's going to help you. You're going to, it's going to be better for work, this, that. And so I feel like my experience even learning language in the border was very much asset based of how, what am I learning? What am I improving? Uh, so I didn't feel I didn't feel that even that like shame with my language that I know um, that I would see a lot of my students experience here right growing between two cultures. Um, so in that way, it was fantastic. <laughs> but it was also a city known for its violence and crime for a very long time. Um, and I remember when I was growing up when I was like, maybe eight, nine, 10, when I started like really understanding what was happening around me. It was when femicides were happening a lot, where a lot of women were being uh, murdered and disappearing. And I would see it in the news. So I like when we would wake up, that was the first thing that they would share on the news, like the amount of people that died the day before. And I remember seeing 15, 20, and it was like a, a, a very normal thing. Um, and I always have this memory where it was 10, like three um, and I went to school and my friends and I were talking about it, like, oh, there were only three this time. And it was like, oh, there were not a lot. Like, oh, wow, that's very strange. Uh, but but like normal, you know, like our everyday lives. Um, and when I when that was happening, I don't know exactly the year, but I remember very clearly that it was when the year when Juarez was the most dangerous city in the world that they were calling it that way, you know, outside of like a, a war zone. 
um, El Paso was the safest city in the U.S. So just like living in between that, uh, I don't know, I just find it fascinating. But in that time, for me, it was just reality. So this poem, and that's why I talk about is less glamorous than it sounds, because when I was growing up, I always saw my city um, in the like in the news or in documentaries and it, and this it still appears I know they they constantly have like the borders you know and, and they have a lot of documentaries and it's just very interesting to see it like for me sometimes it's like glamorizing it um because you know because it becomes this thing and like people uh like oh it's cool you know that this is happening and it becomes this like um I don't know that, yeah, this like even glamorizing of like the characters that are involved in that story. But when you are living there and, and you're afraid, right, of even going somewhere or that I could never, I mean, my childhood, I couldn't just go outside and play in the park or like it was always scary. Growing up with my best friends, we we would just stay home because we would just stay at someone's house because we knew it was like we we saw it right that they had like public uh shooting uh and people were there at the bar or i have this very i don't know why this memory is coming to mind now but um of ones that they went to a bar and they basically said all the people that are wearing red shirts stand up everybody come down and they went ahead and 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 attacked people and so those little things like for me it was very normal but i knew i had to be careful and, um, and even now as an adult, I mean, I think I, I'm very open and I'm social, but, but I'm always very careful uh, with things and, and I'm always very aware uh, of what's happening from that. Um, and when I talk about being resilient is that too, because, you know, going up there and then, and then starting to move when I first lived abroad, uh, when I was like 16, 17, I remember talking about that. And in a way I felt not pride. But I was, uh, I felt like I was like tough because I came from there. Uh, and then later on, I thought, wow, like what a, what a like toxic feeling for me, right? Of like being like having to feel tough for something that is completely out of my control and that I shouldn't be experiencing at, a, at such a young age. Um, so yeah, now I'm getting very deep into that. Uh, but yeah, that's why I talk about being resilient because I have such a strange relationship with the word resilient. Like I, I use it, right? And I, and I, I like it. Uh, but when it comes to my experience growing up in the border, I just don't like the resilience part because it, because it, it's like the only option, right? Uh, instead of having some justice and some like actions happening, the option is to be resilient and to be strong and to be tough. Uh, but it gets exhausting. So. Yeah, and I, I guess I, I was gonna come out around to that wellness side of things, but but you just did. It's it's and I feel like that word resilience is being thrown around so much right now. And to your point, I think the issue comes in that space of like are you being resilient through a situation that you should be able to have a voice to change or to have some kind of way to get out of it. And I mean, at such a young age, your experiences, like what kind of tools would you have had at that age to be able to get yourself out of there or to help yourself? You're in a situation where you can't change anything. You, you know, you don't have any control of what's happening. And so 
yeah, it's um, thank you for sharing that experience and, um, and and also your take on that word resilience. Because I think in, in the situation, like you were so young and what what um, what year did you um, come to the US? Uh, I came in 2014, but I was already 21, almost 22. So when I came, it was, um, yeah, I would think I was not a very, a very mature adult, but I was already like a young adult. Yeah. And so like your experience, like coming here and then, you know, and, and, and having those memories and that experience, how did that shift the way, like once you where did that sense of safety come in knowing that for so long you were in that kind of unknown of you know if i go outside something might happen um because that can be pretty that can be pretty isolating and and um confining um and uh, you know how did you work through the, that kind of feeling yes i haven't thought that much about that feeling but i can Yes. Um, it, it also, I think that feeling of like being tough came also, like it, it was always very present. Um, I guess, and it was also like a defense mechanism in some way, uh, now that I think of it. Um, because when I, when I first moved to, to the U.S. here to Dallas, you know, I came uh, as a Teach for America Corps member. Uh, so I was placed to teach in an area here in South Dallas that it's, um, uh, it's, you know, it's an area of uh, very uh, underserved community and very, um, th there was a lot of, of gang um, movement, like activity. Uh, so when I got here, people would tell me, oh, it's very dangerous. Be careful, this and that. And I remember going there and saying, this is like, this is super safe. You know, I can actually walk here by myself and like, and have my car, like a lot of things. But when I started teaching my students and everything, I found that we had so much more in common than we thought, um, because the the maybe the the crime was different, but but it was there. Uh, so when I came here, I faced with like a different reality. Like I felt safer as a woman, um, but when I was back home, I wasn't that exposed to a lot of injustice, maybe, or maybe I was more in a bubble. I think. Um, with like school, you know, and I think also age, of course, like uh, when I got here, you know, more thinking of a different role. Um, so in that way, I think, I think I, I did feel safe as a woman, but I, I, but it did make me think of a lot of other injustices that were happening here very quickly. Uh, because I, I saw the connection very just soon and, and with, especially with my students. Um, so yeah, I think I, I, I transitioned and I also had that already that like passion um, because I, well, I didn't mention like well, from the, this poem, but the, actually the first time where I felt kind of hurt and that I could actually do something about what was happening was through poetry. Um, when I was nine years old and I performed poetry for the first time and I wrote, we call it oratoria back home. It's like oratory, like spoken word. Uh, and I wrote a piece about femicides and I was nine. And I remember my mom always remembers. She said, you stood on stage and everyone heard or everyone listened. And I did too. And I was a very shy girl. I was very perfectionist, very, um, just, just, uh, just, uh, I felt a lot. And, uh, and that was the first time where I said, wow, I can 
get my thoughts together, write something, speak in front of a crowd, and people will listen to me. And that was very powerful. Um, and, and I think like when I came here, that my mind went immediately to that. And that's why I started even the poetry club with the kids, because they were going through all of those things. And I said, well, the only way that I know how to express this is through words. Uh, so let's see if it works for them. Um, and it did for a lot. Um, so I think I went into that. Yes, into more of an action mode. And I think that happens right to um, and and I think that also talks about like even the immigration and like the American dream. I think also when I came here, a lot of my first years were very much focused on that American dream of like succeeding and like showing uh, that was also exhausting at some point. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit past that. I think now it's being more authentic with me. But at first, I definitely had that where I was here and new culture uh, kind of uh, assimilation way trying to succeed and support who I was serving. So it was just a lot, of, a lot of things happening at the same time. So I think that's why I wasn't thinking that much of what I left in Juarez. I do think about it every time I go, though, when, when I'm there. I do think, wow, when I'm back home, I can walk by myself here, or I can take my bag to the grocery store. I can't do that back home. I, I only take like a card and I hide it somewhere. Um, so just little things like that. I I think it's interesting the the action side of of trauma healing too and that's what I'm hearing from you all of the ways that you were kind of like putting yourself into kind of like what Pema Chodron the the Buddhist nun says that like you continue to like kind of get get out of the nest like you're you're out of the nest and every time you're you fall out of the nest and you're needing to kind of like figure out okay how am I gonna act in this type of situation and I feel like you just continuously put yourself out there and that is is actually like a trauma healing um you know that's something that they they talk about in trauma healing is is putting yourself in new situations you know kind of getting yourself out there instead of like staying isolated and staying scared and um i think that's that's very empowering too and i think also finding like you said finding your voice and knowing that you're being heard is another piece and and that was the way that you could express yourself in in this situation where um, others might have felt differently, you know, and, and each, each person I'm sure in their experiences, and I'm sure you probably have many different, um, experiences from other people around you that would show otherwise, like other people might experience what you experienced a little bit differently. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, why don't you, um, pick another uh, one to, to share with us. And I think you said this one is going to be in Spanish. Yes. Okay. And I can, uh, I can explain, explain briefly like before, and then of course uh, we can talk more about it. Uh, this, this poem is about um, colorism. Basically it's all about uh, colorism from a very poetic uh, way. Uh, it's a little of a love language, um, love letter to, to ourselves as uh, color, uh, as women of color uh, in Mexico, and I'll talk more about it. But colorism is, is a very prevalent uh, like issue uh, back home in Mexico, and even the you know the soap operas are a very clear example. And we always talk about it about how even the characters in the soap operas do not reflect at all like how 
Mexican women look, right? On the streets everywhere else. So it talks about that. Eh, soy morena. Te hablo a ti. Sí, a ti. A esa mujer morena que duda de sí misma más de lo que piensa. A esa mujer morena que creció viendo estereotipos de belleza inalcanzables. A esa mujer que se adapta para encajar. A esa mujer morena que es considerada exótica por su lenguaje o manera de existir. A esa mujer que nunca imaginó existir en las portadas de revista. A esa mujer morena que aguantó insultos por no molestar o incomodar. Te hablo a ti. Sí, a ti. A esa mujer morena que ha cambiado. A esa mujer morena que hoy dice no más porque reconoce su valor. A esa mujer que irradia luz al amar su color. And um, it basically translates to like, uh, like a, a woman of color talking to herself and saying like, I'm talking to you, to that uh, woman who is often doubting herself, uh, to, that women who, to that woman who grew up seeing uh, beauty stereotypes that were never, you know, reachable, that were always impossible, um, to that woman that, that adapts to fit in Uh, that is considered exotic for her language or the way she looks, um, that never thought she could see herself in magazine covers. But, and it also talks to now the women who has actually, who have changed, right? That says no more to others not recognizing her, her value, her worth, um, that, that radiates, irradiates light uh, because she loves her color. And uh, and it's short, but that transition of finding that love ooh, took me many, many years. Yeah, I feel like that that journey of 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 what we see in in media, like you mentioned, like what we see in media is a lot of people see as the that's the ideal, you know. But in reality, no, <laughs> there's so much more um represented in in our spaces like and the, the people that who we are and i think um it can be very toxic uh especially for for younger people to see that and think oh i have to be like that um yeah thank you for sharing that oh of course um And I, I did want to briefly share about colorism in Mexico because, you know, this first, this first theme, it's all about identity. Um, but I think sometimes I read the book and I say, oh, wow, I, I wrote it during the pandemic. I wish they're more like happy <laughs> poems because they're very real sometimes. Uh, but this one, I did, I wanted to bring colorism because of, you know, in, in, in Mexico, where I'm from, and I know I share this with a lot of Latin American, uh, like friends that I have that share this feeling, colorism is so ingrained in everything, um, when it comes from politics, right, and access and upward mobility, and everything is very much connected to like skin tone, um, back home. Um, so I did want to talk about Mexico, you know, and all of those beautiful things that it's known for, like papel picado and the Dia de Muertos, you know, and all those things that are so beautiful. But um, I have a poem that says that, like, growing up in, in Mexico, yes, it was all the piñatas and the beautiful things, but it was also learning, like, the word murder before I learned how to multiply. I have, like, a quote like that. Um, because it was real. So uh, when I think about colorism, I do love my country, and, I, and, you know, and, I, and I'm very proud of where I come from, and I go back home, and I try to, like, oh, always, you know, 
keep doing things back there. Um, but I'm also very aware of those things that like colorism that still continues to be and it changes right a little bit. Um, but I definitely think that needs to be like more like talked about and and yes, <laughs> so that's why I, I wrote that. And I, I agree. I think like you're bringing that to an awareness and, and sharing and talking about it. Um, you know, one, obviously you're, you're being vulnerable in your experiences, but you're also knowing that there are others who share that same experience. And just, I think being the voice to, to really bring it to light and you know even though yeah you're you're talking about it and you know with other people but at the same time like i think putting it out there in this way it's just kind of like it doesn't have to be like this you know and um you know let's let's try to like figure out a way to get out of this mentality and that like it doesn't have to be like this yeah yes Yes, yes. And, and especially with the girls, I think, um, because it, it does bring and even in, in families it's very, but I think it's even with those little interactions, right, that I think everyone is doing in the world trying to, to grow, right, when in a lot of, of, of different aspects that, that we're all growing. Um, but like, even with my family, right, if my mom will make a little comment, uh, that I know that comes from that background, I'll point it out. Uh, and I think my family now they're pretty used to it. At first, they, they were more like, oh, you know, Alejandra, can can we just have like a normal conversation or this and that? Uh, but now, I mean, I think that's where it starts, right? Having those conversations that can be uncomfortable at times. Um, but if we don't bring it up, then how how does that change? Yeah, and especially I think too with um there's also generational differences in their experiences and um, kind of bridging. I think you mentioned like bridging, like being that bridge um, so that that conversation can be like, I, I understand your experiences, but at the same time, like here we are now and, you know, how can we come to a, you know, a shared space that is, is respectful of, you know, all of the different experiences, but at the same time, progressive in such a way that, you know, gives you what you need at this time in space and time, you know? Yes, yes. Now, I, yes, I, I think I, I really like the, the way you, you, you put it into words. So I think of like finding that, that bridge. And this book is also an invitation to that. I think with all of the themes and, and also with this uh, Mexican theme, um, because even when I read about it, I say, I promise I love my, my country and it's beautiful and it, it has so many great things. Um, but I think also with writing, right? And, and even with wellness, because um, I know I always have this conversation even with my therapist and my own like wellness journey of how in, it's non-linear. Um, and that's how this book felt like too, also to write it. It was a very non-linear growth of having days you know, where I said, am I... Am I going to do this? Am I just not doing it anymore? Uh, because it was it was a lot, uh, even thinking about that identity piece, about uh, who I am, where I come from. Um, it did take a lot, a lot of work uh, just to, yeah, just to think and, and to reflect on that. I think, um, you know, kind of like talking about what you were just talking about with 
with regard to conversations with other people, you're also having internal conversations with yourself and like, okay, you know, where am I today? And, um, you know, what is going to come and what kind of uncomfortable conversations are you having with yourself too, in order to get what you need to out um, in such a way that it's healing. It's, a, it's part of your wellness journey, like you mentioned. And I think, you know, a lot of times we think of healing as this, like all of a sudden, boom, like you're healed. <laughs> and no, there's like so many different parts of the kind of like two steps forward, three steps back, you know, type of situations. And I just went through one of those over the last Christmas time. Like we, we ended up, um, I had like a little short, um, stay somewhere to try to do some writing. And while I was there, nothing was coming. <laughs> and so it was just like, I think wherever I was at that time, I was just not ready to do it. And I just had to, you know, come to the place of self-compassion and just said, you know, it's not going to happen right now. And maybe it'll happen in the future. Maybe it won't, but it's okay. But that initial like realization that I was not okay and that I needed to take care of myself first before I could do the writing piece, even though that, that writing piece can be therapeutic at the same time, it's also really um, can be unsettling based on what you're writing about. And can I think of like um, Jack Cousteau and like excavating the bottom of the, <laughs> of the ocean when I think about like writing for me sometimes is like excavating down way down deep and like there could be some things that you hadn't dealt with yet and then like as you're excavating you're just like oh am i ready to deal with this right now not so much <laughs> yeah exactly so so i think like in that regard i i love the idea of like yeah you can have difficult conversations with other people about your experiences and those shared experiences obviously too but then your experience is your experience and your conversations with yourself might be a little bit different, might be a little bit deeper. Um, so yeah, I, I, I find that very, um, uh, like that point of connection <laughs> with the, is, is really powerful. Yes. And I, I love the, the word self-compassion is a word that I always try to, to understand better and to implement. Uh, it's, it's always a challenge. Um, but that's why the book is called Imperfecta. Uh, it does come from that. Uh, imperfecta, you know, uh, it's a cognate same word, imperfect in English. Uh, but it, that's why it was. It, it was a book where I didn't want to overthink that much, um, like in every, <laughs> every other aspect of life, um, and just go for it and just write it. And, and, and it even says in the book, it's, it's, an imper it's an invitation to be perfectly imperfect. Uh, you know, being compassionate with ourselves, of, of understanding, accepting ourselves, uh, which is often very hard. Um, and so, yes, that's 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 just with uh, with imperfecta. And yes. <laughs> okay, so um, Alejandra, thank you so much again for your time um, for sharing your experiences with our community today. We're we're looking forward to the other three episodes that will be focused on um, three different other themes that Alejandra has um, had throughout the book. 
And again, I'm grateful and honored to have had this time with you and I'm looking forward to, to the other three episodes in the future. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to talk more about just the themes and Imperfecta. And I think I wanted to just share a final comment about identity. And I think that, you know, coming from my personal experience and my perspective, our identities as Latinas, as, you know, immigrants is constantly changing. And that's beautiful too. Uh, and I think the the more we learn to to accept that change, the more we can be in in, in real connection with with who we are, you know, and our, our roots, our ancestors, and where we're going now. Thank you. And one other quick question. How can people purchase your book? Yes. So people can purchase my book on my website. Uh, and my website is like my name is A. Ramos Gomez. So the, my first initial, my two last names, I aramosgomez.com. Uh, and my book is there, Imperfecta. Perfect. And we'll add that also to the website. So you'll have that there. So thank you so much again. Thank you. Gracias. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for more episodes of Wellness for Educators podcast.